So thanks for being uh, in the house today. It's good to have you all. And uh, we welcome again, we've mentioned them, but welcome again our overflow people over in the gym. We just talked about them. It's great to have you guys um, surrounding us. Want to welcome our online community um, all over. We tell you every week that keeps growing. And so online community, we're thrilled to have you. We had a victory with our online community last week. Is uh, We have a young lady who's been uh, worshiping with us from Springfield, Illinois. Knows some people here and just fell in love with the Lord and uh, made her way here to Jeffersonville, Indiana last weekend to get baptized. So we had our first baptism in the online community. So um, that's fantastic. And it's just really, really super to see everything God is doing. Okay, so I want to start uh, to, today with a horse joke, okay? So y'all with me, okay? We're gonna talk about a horse joke, and I've got a weird sense of humor, so when I heard it, man, I was on the floor. So this guy is driving down the road, country road, and he's going by this farm, and he goes up, and there's a farmhouse up there, and there's a great big sign in the front lawn that says, talking horse for sale. The guy thought, I've never heard a, talk, a horse talk. And so he pulls over, he knocks on the door, and the farmer takes him back to the stable and says, there's a horse, there's a horse. And he, he goes over and he looks at the horse and says, well, what have you done with your life? And the horse said, well, in my early years, I was born over in London, I was in the service of the queen, and then somebody from America bought me, and they brought me back here, and I was one of those escort ponies that took the thoroughbreds uh, to the gate on the Kentucky Derby, and now in my later years, I just do charity rides for uh, underprivileged kids at the county fair. And the guy is amazed that this horse is talking, and he looks at the farmer, and he says, I can't can't believe you're selling this amazing horse. What are you selling this horse for? And the farmer said, because he's a liar. He didn't do any of those things. (laughs) Now, I just thought since we're talking about scary horses, we're going to talk about something funny. So apparently me and about three other people kind of got that. So let's, let's jump in uh, to this study this evening. Now, I want to recap a bit so that we're all on the same page. Um, it's really important in a series like this that every week you kind of go back to the start and say, okay, remember where we're at. So we're, we're diving in in this series uh, kind of in the early part of the book of Revelation, and by now you know that, because we've talked about it for a couple weeks, and you heard it on a virtual Bible study, that the book of Revelation, if you had to sum it up, what's it all about, comes down to this one thing, and that is this major battle, this crazy fight, this, this tension historically between good and evil. And the world in all of humanity has always been in the midst of that tension, that battle between things that are good and things that are evil, and ultimately between God and Satan. And the book of Revelation tells us how that battle is going to play out throughout history, and in particular, it's going to tell us how it ends. So that's the nuts and bolts of the book of Revelation. That's really all you need to know about the book on an overall sense. Now, what we found out from week one is that that, that tension, how that, <coughs> excuse me, how that, how that plays out, that battle between good and evil, that in the book it is told to us 
with three storylines. And one of those storylines is a scroll, a wrapped up letter that had seven seals on it. And in, in, in those chapters that talk about that, you, you pull each seal off, and as each seal is pulled off, you're able to see a little bit more in there about how this tension in this battle of good and evil is going to happen historically. You're going to find out how it happens in your life. And so you pull the first seal off, you see some things, the second, the third, the fourth, all the way through the seven, and it tells us about how all this battle happens. Now, because you're good students, you know this, the first four seals are all evil. They describe for us how the force of evil under the power of Satan will begin to attack people in the world, will begin to attack anything that is good, anything that is godly. And I want that to be heavy on you. I want to make sure that it's seeded into you so you'll understand why this is so important. The first four seals are the strategy, they are the playbook of Satan. If you wanna know what the devil is wanting to do in our life, we find it in those first four seals. Imagine being the coach of a football team and you got a big game coming up and you have the playbook of your opponent. You know everything they're gonna throw at you. That's the value of the book of Revelation because it tells us here's what the enemy will do to you. Here's what he will do historically, and we find it in those four seals. Now, each of the seals, again, as you know, are described for us by horses of different colors. And every horse tells us a little bit about the strategy of Satan. Today, we're on the third horse, but recap really quick the first two. The first horse was a white horse, and he brings deception. That's his strategy to deceive people. And if you're here two weeks ago, you'll remember that. But basically what Satan will do is he will try to confuse us on what is right and what is wrong. Between that which is good and that which is bad. And all of a sudden now, that gets all confusing, and he deceives us into that. So, so learn to perk your ears up. Learn to open your eyes. Learn to watch what's happening around you in the world. And when something that has always been good, now all of a sudden it's bad. And something that has always been bad, now all of a sudden they tell it's good. It is the work of the white horse. And if that has ever happened to you, if you have ever been confused about right and wrong, if you've ever justified, I can do that which is evil for right, if you've ever been duped by any of that, it's because the white horse has opened up an account with you. Powerful, powerful stuff. The second horse then comes along, and the second horse is a red horse, and his strategy is to divide us. 
The red horse does not want us together. The red horse wants us to be against each other. The red horse is against unity and peace with each other. Sometimes he might use military conflict. Other times he might use tension with a coworker. Sometimes he'll use a struggling marriage. But in the devil's strategy to bring down the world, to fight God and all of his creation, he will attempt to divide us. Now, Winston taught us about that last week. When service was over with on Thursday, I caught him back there, and I grabbed him, and I hugged him, and I said, dude, it's the best sermon I've ever heard you preach by far, absolutely by far. He knocked it out of the park. And what grabbed me as I was listening to that, and and see, I kind of knew what this stuff was about, and, and the way he presented the idea of us trading our weapons, to learn to trade your weapons. And that was just heavy on me all weekend long. And last weekend I ran into the red horse. I don't know if you've ever seen the red horse, but I ran right into him. Susan and I last weekend went up to see her mama up in Illinois. We, we haven't been able to sit with her for over a year. And so we got to go because they're opening up, and so we got to see uh, her mama. And whenever we're back up in that hometown, hardly there much anymore, I always try to get off my own, and I go see my parents' grave. It's just something I do because I, I don't live there, and I just like to be there for a couple minutes. And so I drove over to the cemetery, and I'm, I'm looking at their headstone. And those of you who are Eastsiders, you, you know, I won't get into the detail of that, but you've heard, you've heard that story about my parents' marriage before. Uh, married for 27 years and then divorced and apart for about 15 years and then reconciled and remarried for the rest of their life. So that was kind of their, their kind of weird story. I'm, I'm, I'm standing at the gravesite last week and I'm still thinking about this division thing and what Winston told about, about trading weapons. And I look down and I look at both of their names together and it dawns on me that the red horse tried to divide my family. And my parents traded their weapons so that I could visit one unified grave at one cemetery rather than having to visit two graves in two different cemeteries. And I just looked up and around the sky and I said to myself, all alone in the cemetery, take that, red horse, take that. That is a strategy that Satan will bring into our lives. And so those first two horses, man, they are real. And if you were in those messages, you, you felt that and said, man, I've done business with those horses. And then today we jump into the third. The third horse, you don't come across the third horse as often as you do the first two. But dude, when you do, it has the power to eternally eliminate you. It is the black horse. And I just want to read for you what it says about the black horse, and then we're going to dive in to find out what in the world this horse means to us. Chapter 6, starting in verse 5. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. I looked, 
And there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a day's wages and three quarts of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. Now just be honest. Raise your hand if right now you're thinking, what in the world? Anybody? Okay. Because that happens at the black horse. The first two horses are pretty clear. They're pretty simple. They're almost kind of told to us what they are. There's not a lot of debate with the, the white and the red horse. You get to the black horse, and now we've got to start sorting through imagery, symbolism that the book gives to us. And most Bible scholars look at the black horse and see a reference to famine of times historically among humanity when food shortage begins to affect masses of people. And the descriptions that John uses seem to indicate this idea of famine happening. There is low supply and high demand. What happens when that occurs? Low supply, high demand, what happened? Prices skyrocket. And, and, and so for a day's wages, work all day, and you can buy a quart of wheat. Work all day and you can buy three quarts of barley. And for you and I, that, that really doesn't garner much to us. But what we're told when you study that day and age, what it is, it is prices have about become 12 times their normal rate. And so if those metaphors were used in today's world, here's what it would say. Gallon of gasoline for $35. We're getting close, aren't we, huh? Yeah, yeah. You want to you stake it out back? 300 bucks. You want to stop at the hotel over on the side of the interstate? We're on a road trip sometime. Just a little hotel jump in there, $2,000. And so what the general idea is, is that we've hit a time historically in the battle between good and evil when Satan will use famine that he will come and he will cause incredible famine among masses of people. And that is his strategy to bring harm into our life. And don't damage the oil and the wine. Those are the necessities. Those are the, those are the perks. Make sure you hold on to those. He's talking about low supply and high demand. Now, let's just stop here for a second because I want to really be honest with you, and I want you to think about this for a second because in honesty, we can almost be a little bit nonchalant about this, really. I mean, the white horse, deception, we hear that and we go, oh, dude, man, I know all about that. Watch the news. It's happening every day. And we talk about the red horse last week, and you go, man, I live with that. I know about that. And now we talk about famine. And we go, really? Really? In 2021, famine? In, in the United States of America, famine? Jeffersonville, Indiana, famine? I don't know about you, but I couldn't even eat all my lunch today. I couldn't, I couldn't eat it all. Famine, really? And there's this sense among us, if you're not careful, that you hear about the black horse and you say, you know, that really doesn't apply much to me. Now, if you study historically, there are times in which we know in humanity there were periods of famine in different parts of the world. We know that it was a big deal in the Bible. 
There were times in the Old Testament where there were serious famines. About 30 years after Jesus left this earth, there was a horrific famine around Jerusalem. And it talks about in the New Testament when Paul would go to city after city that were not affected by the famine, and he would ask the Christians if they would donate resources to help the Christians in Jerusalem who were undergoing a famine. So the people who were reading the Revelation book for the first time, they were saying, man, I know all about that. I know it. You and me, what are you even talking about famine? So we almost look at the black horse and we just kind of push it off the side and say, well, we can breathe a little bit. Uh, the, the enemy's not throwing that arrow at me. Well, be careful with that. Because I don't believe, and most scholars don't believe, that the whole point of the black horse is famine. What we really believe that it is, when you think about it, is that famine is a component of a much larger, broader strategy of the black horse. Famine is just one way in which the black horse brings disaster into our life. Famine's just an idea of that, just a component of that. But disaster is much more broad than that. So we can start thinking in terms of hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes and floods. And those of you familiar with the teaching of Jesus, you will remember a teaching in his life where he started talking about what it's gonna be like toward the end of the world. And he started saying, watch for these things. When these things happen, this is happening. Let me read for you just a, a little bit what he said and pay attention to his words and see if you can see the red horse and the black horse. Look at these verses here. Jesus said, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, red horse, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Notice this, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, red horse. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places, black horse. Pay attention when disaster comes. And now, those of us in this room, now it's like a light bulb starting to get a little bit clearer for us. Because when we were talking famine, it's like, oh man, I'm thinking about the things I see on TV commercials once in a while. And gosh, that's awful, but that's not been me. And now we, we make it broader and we say, okay, earthquakes, tornadoes. And some of us in this room starts thinking March 2012, Henryville. People in this room who were in that tornado. I think of May 1996 when an F4 tornado came through Bullock County just south of where I live. That night about 10 o'clock, one of my good buddies called me and he said, man, you see where the tornado was? I said, I'm watching it on the news. He said, man, it went right down my brother's street and I can't get him, he won't answer the phone. Will you go with me to check on him? I said, dude, let's go. And we jump in the car and we drive south into Bullock County with all the emergency vehicles. We couldn't get within two miles of the scene. And so we get out of our car and we kind of weave our way in the pitch dark getting to this neighborhood. I remember when we finally got into the neighborhood, I remember bumping in to, the, to, a, to a toilet in somebody's backyard. And this was an exquisite neighborhood. I don't know about y'all whether you got toilets in your backyard, but they don't in that neighborhood. And it, it blew it out of a house somewhere. 
And we made it up to his brother's street and it was absolute total devastation. Homes were just destroyed. He said, that's my brother's house, man, let's, let's go to it. And we went to the house and we're walking through rubbish and I mean, he's just terrible. We got a flashlight looking and we're calling out for his brother's name and nobody's answering. And we went down this one thing, looked like maybe a hallway. He goes, this is their bedroom. We opened the door and the bedroom was untouched. It was the weirdest thing I'd ever seen. It wasn't a thing off the wall. Everything was absolutely normal. And my friend had his light and he went up, they had this great big picture on the, uh, up above the bed at the bed head and he put the picture on it and I can still hear him say, uh-oh, this ain't my brother's house. <laughs> and I took off running because I was thinking, this is all I need. Local preacher looting after her, her, her tornado. It was so devastating, he couldn't even tell which house was his brother's. Now here's what happens when you, when you start talking about the black horse is you have this image of famine. You go, okay, man, that's horrible, that's terrible. But dude, that, that never happened to me, anybody I know. And then we say, no, it's, it's disaster, man. And you say, okay, now I'm starting to see I'm starting to see what the devil does and how he brings havoc in our life. And remember what I said when I start? Thank God that didn't happen very often. And there's a lot of us in this room have never been in a tornado. You've never been in an earthquake. You've never had a flood in your house. So well, thank God the black horse hadn't hurt me. Well, don't be too quick with that. Because what happens when disaster gets personal? Hold on here. Because when you think of disaster on a grand scale, you have to be very careful about where you think that's coming from. See, I've, I've learned and I've heard, I think this is an important aspect to think about, is, is I get why insurance regulations and laws say what they do, but I, I want you to hear this, and I'm gonna put it up here so you got ears and eyes. I want you to check this out. Natural disasters are not acts of God. They are acts of the rider on the black horse and he's on Satan's team. And somewhere we gotta be careful with that gang. And I get it that nothing happens without God's knowledge and approval. And I get it that sometimes God uses disasters to accomplish his purpose. And I get it that sometimes we don't quite understand the will and the ways of God because he's bigger than we and sees more than we. But the heart of God, when he wants to build relationship with people, has nothing to do with bringing a disaster into your life. And I hear us talking from time to time in reference to covid that God brought COVID to wake America and God brought COVID to clean out the hypocrites in a church. I can tell you that when I was sitting in my car for 36 hours in Baptist City's parking lot because my wife had COVID in the hospital and I couldn't be there, the last thing I was thinking about is why has our caring father tried to wake my family up? What I was thinking about is I hate Satan and I hate all his horses and I'm tired of him. That's what I was thinking. So whenever you think disaster, quit blaming God on disaster. He's not the third seal. The enemy is the seal. But Dave, I've never been in an earthquake. I've never, I've never had it. Well, what happens when the disaster gets personal? 
Now hang on. Because what do you do when a son or daughter gets seriously sick? And what do you do when a spouse doesn't want to be married to you anymore? And what about an addiction that just won't leave you alone no matter how hard you try? And what about a state of depression that you just can't seem to crawl out of? And what about a loss of job that you loved and you needed? And what about a friendship that just became a feud? And what about a parent who's showing signs of dementia? See, now all of a sudden, the black horse is real, isn't he? Famine, oh man, that's terrible, I've never been there. Okay, tornadoes, earthquakes, oh yeah, man, I hate it when those things come along every 10 years. But when you talk about disaster that's personal, now you're talking about me. Because some of y'all right now saying, dude, I'm riding a black horse. And I was doing business with the black horse last year. And I see the black horse coming to me down the road right now. I see him. He's going to be here soon. Because now, now I know what you mean about the black horse. And the devil hates you so bad that he will bring disaster into your life every minute that he possibly can. If I ask everybody here, who'd never been affected by any disaster personally, go ahead and get up and walk out and head on home. Almost nobody could go. Now, it's probably a dumb question, but I think the answer is very important. Why does Satan do this to us? Why does he do this? Why does Satan use the black horse? Why is the rider in the black horse doing what he does in our lives? And there are really only two answers. There's really only two, and these are what the answers are that he wants your life crushed and he wants God to be cursed by you. He doesn't want you to be joyous. He doesn't want you to be happy. He doesn't want you to be at peace. He doesn't want one ounce of good feeling into your soul. He wants you miserable. He wants us afraid. He wants us defeated. He wants us down. That's what he wants to do, and it doesn't bother him when your life feels like you're crushed. And if you're in this room today and you're feeling, man, that's, that's where I'm at. That's what's happening with me. It's because the black horse showed up in your life. And he wants that to happen to you. But please catch this. That's not his ultimate goal. His ultimate goal is not that we're miserable and life is horrible. That's not his ultimate goal. His ultimate goal is that we would curse God. Do you remember the challenge to Job when his life is crushed? Do you remember his friends? Go ahead and curse God. God, where are you at? What are you doing? Why would you have this happen? And when you fall into that hole, you're falling into the potential, the potential of what the black horse wants out of your life. And here's what it is. I'm gonna move away from the Father. If that's who he is, and that's not who I wanna be. 
And there is this slow regression away from the Father. A slow regression away from the Father's way. A slow regression away from the Father's people. There are people normally would be in this room right now and they're not here and they're not with the Father because the black horse came to their house and they've cursed God. Now I want you to hear something. I want you to hear this because this is as powerful as you can do, as powerful as you can see. I don't want you to miss it. If I can put that, that slide right back up on the screen, I want to show you something that I think is so powerful. You cannot prevent this. You can't prevent your life from being crushed. Many times when that happens, that had nothing to do with you. Sometimes it did, but a lot of times you get crushed simply because you live in an evil world. But you can stop that. And you can control that. And as a pastor, I want you to know that I've lived that. And that I've seen that for four decades of ministry in my life. I've seen the black horse. I've seen every arrow that the rider on the black horse has in his arsenal. There's nothing that the rider has shot that I've not seen personally. What amazes me is when people who have life crushed, I look at this and study it and think about it. How come some people made it through it? How come some people got on the other side of it and their faith was intact and they were strong with God Why other people have cursed God and walked away from God and left the church? What is the difference between that? And as a pastor, I watch that all the time. And how come they came out strong and they came out weak? What is the difference? Because when the black horse shoots me, and he will end this life. I want to make sure that I don't curse God. I want to make sure that I come out stronger rather than weaker. What is the difference? And I think the difference is told to us in a beautiful way in a place in the New Testament I want to show you about. I'm just going to read a section of material to you that a guy in a very confessional moment of his life said, here is the crud that I've been through. And what he said, this is what the black horse has done to me. His name is Paul, and you know him from our New Testament studies, the Apostle Paul, the writer of half of the New Testament, he said this one time, he said, I've been in prison, I've been flogged, I've been exposed to death again, and again, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. You want to talk about disaster? That dude knew about disaster. So how did he get on the other side? How did he come out stronger? How did it not do away with him? 
That happened because of what he confessed in this letter. I think it's one of the most powerful verses in the New Testament. If I had my way, if God allowed me to write the Bible, I would say this, you cannot be baptized till you memorize this verse. It'd be in there somewhere. And it comes in the first letter, or first chapter of the letter in which he made this confession, and I want you to see what he said. This happened, what happened? All the stuff he's gonna say. Those things happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He said, when the black horse hits me, and it's probably gonna hit me, watch this, I'm gonna move toward God. I'm not gonna move away from God. When the black horse comes to my house, I'm gonna rely on God. I'm not gonna say, you're the reason for this, God. When the black horse is doing his business in my family, in my life, in my work, and my finances, and my health, I'm going to say, I'm going to go to God. Why? Because God can raise the dead. That's why. And I'm going to intentionally build my faith and trust and dependency. The bigger the black horse is, the more I trust God. And that's the thing that will get you through it. And so I beg of you, I plead with you, the next time the black horse shows up, you make sure you understand the secret. Go toward God. Do not allow yourself to go in reverse. It's not brain surgery. You don't have to have a Bible college degree. Look at it from this quote. When the black horse shows up to crush your life, which you cannot always prevent, will you find yourself moving toward God or away from him? Now watch this. You get to pick if the black horse wins. You get to pick that. Father, I wanna come before you right now because after I hear the scariness of this black horse, I think times in my life where I can attest it to nothing more than your grace and your goodness, that you just helped me to make sure that I went toward you and not away from you. Now on the other side of it right now, I'm, I'm, I'm praising you because I know the ultimate goal of the enemy did not occur in my life but I think of all the people that it has. And I think of people within my own voice right now who are gonna walk out here today and say, man, I've been doing business with the black horse and I've been walking away from God. And I pray that your spirit is so heavy and so pure to their heart right now that you are calling them home to you. That you're saying, Trust me, seek me, hold on to me. And anybody who needs that, anybody who's moving away from you, would you please help them hear this? And I pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.